I was shocked to find in my mail yesterday a very negative ad from County Executive Candidate Chris Ronane. He's gone down low. He had taken the high road to now, but he had a very inflammatory, somewhat misleading postcard about Lee Weingart. Makes you wonder whether Chris Ronane has some polling or something that shows he's in trouble. Expected better from his campaign. I didn't think they'd do this. Justin Bibb never did that last year, and it was refreshing to see somebody stay on the high road for an entire campaign. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. Lisa Garvin is taking a rare day off. I can't remember the last time that happened, but we have Laura Johnston and Courtney Astolfi. And Courtney, let's start right away with a big change in a story we talked about earlier in the week. The leaf collection policy in Cleveland. Shock of all shockers, Justin Bibb has reversed his dopey course. Yes. So we've got some breaking news this morning. Uh, a press release went out, um, you know, early this morning saying that that this this leaf change where folks who were in areas that only had to re- rake their leaves to the curb traditionally, uh, the mayor wanted them to start bagging the leaves. And this announcement came late in the game and and there was a lot of public outcry. City council was upset. Constituents were upset. And, you know, Bib this morning tells us that after hearing that kind of feedback, he's he's going back to the old way of doing business. You know, the problem is that he should have gotten the feedback on the front end. If he'd have wandered across City Hall, it's not that many steps, and said, hey, Council President Blaine Griffin, you've been around a while. I'm thinking of doing this with the leaf policy. Blaine Griffin would have said, no, 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 that's a disaster. People will be very upset. But everything we're hearing about Justin Bibb is he keeps doing things without consultation. He's just bullying through on his own. And this kind of fumble is inevitable. Of course, he has to go back. The outrage was deafening. You can't take services away from people who voted a few years back to increase their income taxes to get better services. So it's good that he reconsidered. But why doesn't he get somebody in his circle? that understands the history of City Hall so he doesn't make these dopey decisions and have to go back on them. Well, and what what stuck out to me here is for his reasoning, when he rolled out that policy change earlier this week, he said it it took us this long to roll it out because we were working with council. And now he's coming back today and saying (laughs) because of the feedback from council, we're reversing course. So I guess which which was it? Yeah, I, I, it's come up over and over again. He really doesn't have somebody in his circle to say, hey, 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 what are you doing? Don't do it. You Think about this. There are ramifications for these decisions. And because he never worked in City Hall, he had none of the history of City Hall, which he, you know, said was a good thing because he could be a change agent. He doesn't respect their traditions of City Hall. I mean, you have to have somebody there that can give you the ramifications. Otherwise, You have egg on your face like he does today. It's Today in Ohio. We asked and you answered, what does Northeast Ohio think of the political bomb thrower Jim Jordan, the Ohio congressman who has embarrassed many in Ohio with his adoration of Donald Trump? Laura, this is part of the polling that we've done on local issues. We'll be rolling it out for the next few months. What do people think of him? I think they think less about Jordan than Jordan probably thinks and <laughs> more than less than Jordan probably wants. I mean, he has a huge national profile. Former President Donald Trump gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's on Fox News all the time. He'll chair the House Judiciary Committee if his party takes control of the U.S. House of Representatives next year. So, I mean, he courts 
he courts controversy. He courts the big headlines. But 43.7% of Northeast Ohioans who were interviewed by pollsters from Baldwin-Wallace University said they had no opinion of him. And this was 504 residents of Cuyahoga Summit, Lake Geauga, Portage, Medina, and Lorain counties just last month. The thing is, Jordan doesn't represent much of our area, just a sliver of Lorain. And starting with the redistricting for the next session of Congress, he won't represent even Lorraine anymore. So he's a little bit out. But that said, I mean, the man is in the news a lot. Yeah, I I think that speaks to how many people have turned away from the news. To not know enough about Jordan to have an opinion on him, you really would have to have your head in the sand because he is, he was in the news again this week. He's all excited because he'll be in charge of a key committee in Congress and he's already making noise about how he's going to use it politically. You know, you just would think people were aware, but I was surprised by the huge percentage like, oh, beats me. I don't know. Well, well, I think even more surprising than that, because there are a lot of people that don't follow politics closely and couldn't tell you you their own congressperson. Right. So among Democrats, 21 percent said they view view Jordan favorably, which makes you think, like, do they have the wrong person in their head? Like, are they thinking of Michael Jordan? Like, who are they <laughs> thinking of? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, 39.1% of Republicans have favorable views of Jordan, 22% of independents, and more than 44% of Republicans said they were not sure of their opinion of Jordan, which makes you think they really, no one ha- no one knows who he is. Yeah. I, I, look, I love the polling. Baldwin Wallace, our partner on this, we, we've asked a bunch of interesting questions. And when we, we started to see these results, it's been interesting to, to reveal it. Got a lot more to come. The Jim Jordan story is on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Tim Ryan's only real path to victory in the Senate race in Ohio appears to be persuading people to split the ticket. So many people appear likely to vote for Mike DeWine that Ryan needs DeWine voters to defeat J.D. Vance. Or is Ryan getting the message across to voters that they need to split the ticket? I think so. I mean, he has run this incredibly non-Democrat leading campaign, right? He has red campaign signs. And so he's really courting Republicans who don't want to vote for Vance, you know, a Trumpster election denier. He, he wants to be stand up for like the regular working folk. You've seen all these ads. So there are two groups that this could be a crossover ticket, right? Like anyone who votes for DeWine as a traditional Republican could vote for Ryan. And then there are folks that are traditional Democrats that are voting for DeWine because they like the way he handled COVID. So Ryan's obviously not working about worried about those folks. He is trying to get to pull away people from Vance. And the thing is, this you know, the country's become so partisan that probably people are voting tickets more than they're looking at the individual candidates. But there it still matters. Like, you know, you still get to vote on a person, not a party. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be interested to see how, what the numbers are. I mean, and it's not just he needs to get some. He needs to get a lot, and he's mm-hmm. been working on it. We've are, I've heard from some people that that voted for DeWine but said there's no way they were going to vote for Vance. I mean, a lot of people understand that Vance is kind of a soulless creature who who just puts himself out there as whatever he thinks works now. I mean, his, he's a chameleon, and he just changes with the crowd, whereas Ryan doesn't, and I think people respond well to Ryan, but will it be enough? Well, it, it hasn't happened that often here in Ohio. So Sherrod Brown, who seems to, you know, 
beat all the trends. He managed to pull it off in 2018, seven point victory over Jim Renacy. That time he was a congressman from Wadsworth and DeWine won three points over Democrat Rich Cordray at the same time. But before that, the last time was in 1974. That's when John Glenn won the U.S. Senate race and Republican Jim Rhodes was elected governor. So, I mean, if he does this, it'll be a coup. There is a Republicans for Ryan campaign at features a former Republican Hamilton County commissioner and a former chief of staff for Rob Portman. Obviously, that's who they're running to replace. So they they take out newspaper ads, digital ads, and they've got mainstream media coverage. So, I mean, there is a, a big block of people that are very public about this. I mean, obviously, we talked earlier this week about Liz Cheney endorsing uh, Ryan. Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't think centrist Ohioans want to have somebody like Vance representing them. That's not who Ohio is. So, so then, again... We'll but see. I mean, even Matt Dolan ended up uh, backing Vance. So, yeah. and obviously DeWine stood behind him. Vance doesn't think he's going to get all the same votes that DeWine does, but he thinks he's going to win with a pretty good margin. So, well, given the way Ohio's gone, there's, there's a good chance he's right. We'll see on Tuesday. It's today in Ohio. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb has one study underway about the implications for air travel if he shutters Burke Lake for an airport, something he said he wanted to do when he was campaigning. Courtney, he's commissioning a second study. I wonder what that's about. And I should say, we have a poll question coming up about this that might surprise some people, but we're not going to reveal the results here. Yeah, so let's talk about this study. This week we learned the city is, you know, seeking a consultant to consider basically the economic impacts of either keeping Burke up and running or, or closing it and using it for, you know, other other things. You know, this would look at at, at things like the the job the job numbers, the tax benefits, property values, business revenue, and compare and contrast the trade off here if the city is looking to potentially shut down Berg. And, you know, this this um, consultant is going to be looking at, at a range of options for, for what could be there in its stead. It could be a public park all the way to, you know, super dense mixed use development right there on the lakeshore. So, you know, we heard from, you know, Bibb's chief integrated development officer, Jeff Epstein, and and, you know, he's basically telling us the mayor has a strong sense that there's a better use for that land. But this study is is going through the due diligence of analyzing actual dollar figures, costs and benefits to the city to help inform that decision. And 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 we also learned through this that that it seems like Bibb is, is likely to make a decision next year either way. So this is some of the the groundwork that he wants to do. Like you said, that other study is just focused like on regulatory and, and aviation fallout. This is looking at the money. Yeah, and there'll be forces that fight very hard against closing it, as there always have been. And up until now, the mayors have ultimately caved to that pressure. We'll see if Bib stands tall or does what his predecessors have done. Yeah, you know, we, we did talk to the executive director of the Cleveland National Air Show, and there was definitely reticence, at least coming from, from that part of the community. She pointed out. Do you think out, we sh- should say, like, just keep it an airport just for one weekend a year, just so you have an air show? Like, that to me seems like an asinine argument. Well, she was saying about how, I mean, so we know Burke's built on all that dredge sediment from the Cuyahoga River, and it's it's built on a bunch of trash. So she was saying, you know, you, you go out behind my office, you dig down, you're going to find garbage. She said they found car chassis down there when doing projects, I, that workers were totally... affected by noxic fumes. 
Well, <laughs> we've talked but, a lot about putting things on toxic sites. But uh, ultimately, though, you can always get pylons down to bedrock. I mean, it, it might cost more, but there, there, eventually you're going to hit the solid material, even if you have to pound it down pretty far. I mean, the thing is, this airport opened in 19... 19- what was it like? It was idea after the world's or the Great Lakes Expedition of 1938. They were like, this is a great idea. Let's put an airport here. And the flights peaked in 2000. We've been falling ever since. I mean, it's 40,000 takeoffs and, and landings a year. I just, it's a small use for what is, you know, a prime piece of lakefront. And yeah. and Hopkins actually has to supplement their budget. So that it's drawing resources away from Hopkins and- to keep Burke afloat. So that's how we're going to renovate, you know, that $2 billion, was it, is it $2 billion for Hopkins, that plan they wanted to? <laughs> we'll just close Burke so they get to save their money. It's today in Ohio. What's a strategy that Cuyahoga County is contemplating to identify more victims of child abuse and get them help? Courtney, this is something the county council seems quite driven to get done. Yeah, this sounds like a great service. Um, You know, they're contemplating, they're in the early stages. We haven't arrived at a contract or anything yet, but they're starting to move money around on the county side to to fund this coming up. Um, What's on the table is a $4 million contract with Canopy Child Advocacy Center to take care of kids who are the victims of abuse, right? So this kind of center kind of gets everything all under one roof. It's meant to, you know, streamline coordination between the different agencies involved. You got to imagine DCFS, police investigators, prosecutors. There's a whole bunch of folks that kind of come in when there's a child abuse case. Um, and, And one of the big benefits of this kind of center is it would prevent kids from having to sit through multiple interviews that can be re traumatizing if you have to keep saying the same story over and over again and and get all interviews taken care of in one go. And that's that, that's a really good service. I'm familiar with a center like this from my home county when I did reporting there. They had this a decade or two ago, and it's really great for the kids. And the county wants to step up. You know, the Canopy Center has already been in the works. It, it opened in 2019. It served 2000, over 2,000 kids since then. But Without county funding, it's really limited. They can only accept young, the youngest kids and kids subject to specific crimes. Um, there's restricted operating hours. Their medical facility there is only open once a week. With this county infusion of cash, they expect that they can serve you know many more kids here, maybe another 1,000 children a year. I don't get the multiple interview thing. You would think they could video the interview and then everybody could use it. But what was surprising in this story is that these other centers, like the one you talked about, they all had county funding kind of from the start. And this is the only one of them, I think the story said, that isn't funded by the county, which seems odd because our story said this was created as a result of a county task force, the county government organized task force in response to a, one of the, the tragedies that happened. So I, I, it's like, go back in time. Why wasn't this funded by the county from the start? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this too. Like you said, that task force was compiled after the, the death of four-year-old Anaya Day Garrett about four or five years ago, a really, really bad DCFS case. And, and But we heard in, in this briefing to council this week, they, they described Cleveland as the last major city in the U.S., that didn't have a freestanding center like this. And and they said it's one of the few, you're right, that's that's not county funded. 
Yeah, very odd. It's today in Ohio. The inflatable rat was back on Thursday, this time at Cleveland City Hall, along with a bunch of people protesting and calling for more money. Courtney, who were the protesters this time? Yeah, we had a uh, handful of, of, you know, important city unions out there by the free stamp yesterday morning. Laborers Local 860, Teamsters Local 507, a handful of other unions. And, and they represent collectively like hundreds of city employees, including garbage truck drivers, including snowplow drivers, including airport employees, utility workers, park maintenance, road repair. So these are some vital services, and and they're upset with the way that negotiations are going with the BIP administration. Now, this is on the heels of the big police contract negotiation in which officers got a big 5% bump right out the gate and then 2% raises over the next three years. But um, that 5% bump is not being offered to the other unions. We know when BIP came in, he said it was really important given the staffing concerns and how low the numbers of Cleveland police have dropped to really incentivize that section of city employees. But now we've got folks in other departments saying, hey, no, no, we're vital workers. We work through the pandemic. We provide vital services to residents. And, you know, it's my understanding, at least the Teamsters, they're at an impasse in contract negotiations. So, you know, if things don't shake out in arbitration, could there be a strike down the road? I don't know that people realize that uh, which classification of employees has the most injuries on the job. A lot of people think it's EMS and police and firefighters. And we, we haven't looked at this closely in some time, but what the last time we analyzed it, it was the guys who pick up the garbage. They far and away were the most injured people in in city employment and it's a hard job it's i mean they're they're doing they're right they're doing a very important public service hauling away everybody's detritus and you know they got a point that hey (laughs) we're out there putting our health on the line for this city and you're giving more money to others why not us yeah and and they think you know, right. The the equity issue across departments, we're here, we're working for you too. And, you know, we we saw a bunch of signs. It was a big show. There were about 50 people out there. Where does this go? And I think this raises questions about we've got a new mayor, you know, former Mayor Frank Jackson had his system down of handling contract negotiations. We're kind of seeing how the sausage is being made a little bit here with the new mayor and how the unions are interacting with him. Does this include people who pick up the leaves? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think so. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's going on with David Dobbs, a Republican candidate for the Ohio House in Columbus? He appears to have several debts that he hasn't disclosed, and some look like they're shady. Laura, we don't talk a lot about downstate statehouse people, but if he gets elected, he'll be making decisions that affect Northeast Ohio. This This is a shady-looking thing. Yeah, he didn't disclose to the state ethics committees uh, two different judgments. And this is Jake Zuckerman, who's found them at different times. The one he's writing about now is this $150,000 judgment from a lender who accused him of fraudulent business practices in 2012. And just to be clear, I think it's Dobos, D-O-B-O-S. And so this plaintiff who's suing him says he hasn't been paid since 2014. 
from this judgment. And that brings the outstanding legal debts to $1.45 million because last month, Davos belatedly discloses $1.3 million debt to a state ethics committee. And state law says candidates cannot knowingly, that's the key word, file false statements on financial disclosure forms. That's punishable by up to six months in jail, a fine up to $1,000. But his most recent ethics filing, nothing about this $150,000 debt. So this case, about $150,000, was he owned this education supplies business. That's what the original debt stems from, too. And then this man he attended church with loaned him $150,000 in 2009 for cash flow problems. He sued him in 2014 to get the money back. He's never he even though he won that lawsuit, he has not been paid. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty shaky. And and ultimately, if he gets elected, this could result in a criminal charge. Right. I mean, they, they would investigate this because it's the law. You have to disclose this stuff. And if you don't, you can get into some trouble. Absolutely. I, I just caution that the ethics laws uh, are not always the most enforced uh, in this state. Like as you know, past examples we've talked about, but yes, he could be prosecuted. And, you know, that would, I don't know what that would mean for his political career. Obviously he's running, you get a chance to vote on him on Tuesday. I hope people take a look at his background and not just vote on a party. Good reporting by Jake. It's today in Ohio. What's the cheapest place to buy groceries in Cuyahoga County and how much can you save by going there instead of a higher price store? Courtney, this is the latest from our Saving You Money columnist. Yes, Sean McDonald. I think this was a great public service. I really enjoyed reading this. I encourage people to go check it out because there's a lot of good info you can play around with in this story. But, you know, we learned from Sean's foray into various grocery stores that are around Cuyahoga County that you know, Walmart and Aldi are definitely the cheapest. He he went through and, and got a selection of, you know, normal kind of everyday groceries, bananas, flour, coffee, you know, different staples. And and compared across these, these different stores, each trip to Aldi and Walmart, he found, came in just under $58. Among other stores, he went to places like Dave's, Giant Eagle, Heinen's, um, or not, excuse me, not Heinen's, but, but the middle of the pack stores each fell between 60 and 70 bucks for the same list of groceries. He got cheaper at the other locations. And then Heinen's actually came in at the most expensive at about $84 for that batch of supplies. Was it exactly the same food or, or is it possible that we were dealing with some different kind of brands that some of the cheaper stores might have off brands, whereas Heinen's would have the higher quality brands or, or did he equalize for that. Yeah, I mean he tried to equalize for that. He he tried to get a good mix of name brand and store brand when it was possible, but it's not a complete apples to apples comparison. Sorry, excuse the pun. Uh because um you know, like stores like Aldi, they're like all in-house brand and they're not like they don't sell Folgers there. So, it wasn't a perfect comparison, but I mean, I got to give it a shout out to Aldi. That's my store. I Me find it too. to be the cheapest. It, and the fastest, because you don't have to compare like 17 types of peanut butter. Like if you want peanut butter, you buy the peanut butter on the shelf, right? Like it's <laughs> right. very quick. But 100%. what if you want high quality peanut butter? I then mean, go somewhere else. Don't shop at Aldi. You know what? For the most part, like Aldi brands, it's my understanding that they pull like the product out of the name brand and can label it themselves. So a lot of the product you get there should be comparable. Some of it's lesser quality, but... I don't know. I love all of their 
their brand, their food, right? Like I've never had a, an off-brand thing that I'm like, oh, this is why you buy the name brand, you know? And they do sell like Honey Nut Cheerios because I'll tell you, yeah, the generic Honey Nut Cheerios are not going to pass with my kids. But <laughs> for the most part, very happy with the quality of my Aldi food. I don't know. I We, we had a, a family-owned grocery store in Cleveland Heights since I moved here called Zagara's. And they very recently, in the recent weeks, sold to Dave's. And Dave's opened, I think, last weekend. And it's different. It's not the same level of quality. It's kind of surprising how different it can be going to different stores. This is the second interesting grocery store that Sean has done. The first one was when he went and bought the mystery boxes of nearly expired food, saved a ton of money and entertained us with how he created things to make to use up the ingredients. So he's he's hit something with this grocery thread. It's today in Ohio. Is it official now? Has the head of the Rock Hall Board in New York officially and fully reneged on the commitment that was made to Cleveland to have the induction ceremony in the city every two years? Laura, shame, shame, shame. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't called, you know, thrown the flag on this yet. But um, John Sykes, he dished on the ceremony and plans with Forbes, and he said that it's going to rotate between Cleveland, New York, and Los Angeles moving forward. So this is the first time it's happening tonight, right? The first time the ceremony's taken place in L.A. since 2013. And back in 2016, the Rock Hall said Cleveland's going to host every other year. Then there was the COVID pandemic that never happened. And uh, when Sykes took over from Jan Wenner in 2019, I guess he never intended to make that happen. Yeah, Sykes does not seem like he cares about Cleveland at all. He has his sights elsewhere. But that was a promise that was made to the to the city and to the tourism folks. And uh, it's just it, kind of amazing that he's never come here to explain himself, to say, hey, look, here's what's going on. Here's why we're doing it. You know, we have to find out about it through this this kind of thing. And it, they reneged. I mean, that, that's a big deal for Cleveland. It's not a big deal for L.A. It's not. It's no. like they barely no, they notice it. So many award ceremonies, right? And in this quote he told Forbes, he said, Los Angeles will now be a regular stop for the hall. At the same time, we're going to put a renewed focus on Cleveland as being not only the home of the rock and roll music, but also its home of the museum. It's like, Okay, so where's the renewed focus? No, he, that's that's the throw the flag. That's just not a true line, and you know. And I heard from Mike Norman that he read into this that they might even float the. They were floating an idea that they might even take it to Europe on occasion, which might mean not even every three years. It's just a shame because when the announcement came, it was here every other year. There was a great deal of excitement that we're the home of the museum. We should be the home of the induction. And for them to renege on that without really coming and explaining and and making good some other way, it, I, I get the feeling that the people in New York just don't care about Cleveland, even though the museum is here. It's today in Ohio. Although, Laura, I think the ceremony's tomorrow, not tonight, right? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. let me check that. I'm pretty sure it's Saturday. but but And it'll be broadcast on HBO November 19th, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we did skip a question if you want to go back. What was it? We have some time. About guns being more uh, gun laws in Franklin County, the judge. Oh, you're right. I did. Okay, yes. We thought the law was clear about <laughs> cities passing gun laws more restrictive than Ohio because the Ohio Supreme Court had said they can't. Suddenly that's back in play, Laura. I don't see how that can be. 
Well, this Franklin County judge says it can be, and this is Stephen McIntosh on Thursday. He placed a hold on parts of two Ohio laws that prohibit local governments from passing their own gun control ordinances. And this is Columbus that sued, and it's just a preliminary injunction, so there'll be lots of hearings. But the city argued that under the Constitution, it has the home rule authority to ban firearms manufacturing in residential neighborhoods. It also objects to this law that allows any private citizen or organization to sue municipalities that oppose gun ordinances stricter than state gun laws. And we all know state gun laws are not very strict. And the reasoning behind this is the 2017 Supreme Court decision about traffic and speed cameras, which that's ingenious, right? Well, except the Supreme Court was pretty clear about guns. I mean, Cleveland, look, it's a shame because it should be a home rule issue. What this judge is saying is what it should be. But the Ohio Supreme Court looked at it a couple of times and said, no, if the state says that cities cannot pass more restrictive gun laws, that preempts all city gun laws. I mean, they ruled on that very issue. There's a precedent for that. So this judge is saying, yeah, but since then they made a different precedent that can be applied here. But there's a precedent for this. I don't get how I don't think this is going to go far at all, especially if the uh, Supreme Court races go to Republicans, as many expect. No, I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope for this. But, you know, realize how far long ago this was that this fight's been going on. It started in 2006. So and it was upheld as far back as 2010. So this has been the law of the land for quite a while, which is what the state is arguing. Right. Like, don't bring this up again. Well, they ruled. I, I'll be really surprised if they don't just ima- automatically slam this back. It's a shame because cities should be able to control guns within their borders. We know that because of the gun violence we see in Cleveland. Frank Jackson tried over and over again. We'll have to cross our fingers and hope that somehow this works. It's today in Ohio, and, and that is all of the questions. I've now we've covered the ground. And Thanks. the rock hall ceremony is Saturday, so yeah. don't sorry. Well, and we will have lots of coverage on our website. Troy Smith is there, so we'll we'll be there. It'll we be hope good. he's there. We hope yeah. he's there. Yeah. yeah, with travel travel complications, but we hope he's there. All right. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks to everybody who listens. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday, the day before Election Day. I'm sure we'll have some election news to discuss. 